0: Coming up on Money Beat, what is a $20 trillion debt among friends? Well, when the $20 trillion debt is the U.S. government's could be quite a lot, depending upon what happens down in Washington, D.C., what policies get enacted, how much tax revenue is required to fulfill those policies, how much growth there is in the U.S. economy. Greg Fisher is the CIO of Gerstein Fisher, and he is with us here to break down all the numbers regarding debt and growth. This is Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to Money Beat, everybody. Hope you have uh, completely digested the Oscars and the 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 horror, the horror show that happened there on Sunday night. Just a surprise ending. Just a surprise. Just a surprise ending. And who doesn't love a little drama at the movies, right?
1: Well, it, it was funny. We were on. We were behind, so we were you know sort of catching up. And I started looking at my phone as all the yeah. alerts were coming through, <laughs> and I was it's like, crazy, "Whoa, crazy!" Story. I'm like, "What happened?"
0: Yeah. Drama at the Oscars, but uh, we're going to talk about a different kind of drama here on the show today. President Trump on Tuesday will deliver his first State of the Union speech. Uh, He is expected to, and I think even actually as as we speak today, he is outlining his budget proposals for the coming year and, and for spending priorities in the government. And that kind of brings us back to something that was... Uh, a, a huge concern a couple of years ago. It seemed like all anybody could talk about and it has kind of been forgotten. But as I stare here at the US debt clock, I see it at the US national debt at nineteen trillion nine hundred and seventy nine billion. Right? Am I am I getting that right? It's a big number. Um about to hit the twenty or, trillion or mark. Twenty trillion, yeah. Or twenty about to hit the twenty trillion mark. What does that mean? Is that important? Why is it important to help us break down that number and all the ramifications of it and in terms of how it relates to spending that is going to come out of the government in the next year, in the next years? We have Greg Fisher, who is the CIO of Gerstein Fisher, on the line. Greg, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. So, uh, you know, you guys have kind of hyped, not hyped, but but prepped us to this because you did a blog post on... Your, your company's website talking about the debt and the fact that no one's really paying attention to this anymore, but it is about to hit a big milestone and, and the significance of that milestone.
2: Yeah, we, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I think back to, uh, I've been managing investment assets for about 25
0: years for folks. And,
2: you know, we have a pretty good sense of what's on people's minds uh, just from the conversations we have with our investors. And, what i found over the years is that you know human beings tend to you know anchor on certain sets of information and then they ignore other things and usually the things they ignore is what they would think of as the low probability event um... but you know when the dow was crossing twenty thousand a few weeks back or a month or so ago um, you know everybody was talking and focusing on the dow twenty thousand um, but I found that almost nobody was focusing on the fact that we were about to cross this other 20, which was $20 trillion in debt, and that we've seen our debt uh, really you know, go up by almost four times over the last 20-some-odd years. Um, and I thought this was something that people should at least pay some attention to, because it, it does present a variety of issues. Now, this comes at a time where there's this you know, pro-growth environment that we're hearing about in the media where there's a lot of discussion uh, with our new president around you know promoting growth, which I guess in itself is probably a good thing. Um, so we're likely to head into an environment with more growth and probably more inflation. Now some stats that I mentioned in the blog that we wrote uh, recently. Was that, you know, if you look at the cost of our debt, you know, you roll back to maybe the year 2000, something around there, and what you see is that, you know, when interest rates on the cost of our debt were at something of about 6%, whereas now the cost of our debt is something of about two percent and i'm rounding to keep things simple so the the interest cost of our debt has you know gone down significantly so although our debt has you know tripled or quadrupled the cost of our debt from a cash flow point of view to our country has remained roughly the same we're servicing you know three to four times the amount of debt for roughly the same cost And this has been a great luxury for all of us to be able to accumulate this debt. Um, But the question is, in this pro-growth environment, uh, which could potentially lead to more inflation, maybe rising rates, which we've already seen, that will make a big dent on this pro-growth environment. I think one of the biggest constraints to our growth is our debt. And that was really the high-level point. It wasn't to say that this by itself is a huge problem. There's so many things to consider around this. But I just thought we should shine some light on the thing that I felt many people had forgotten about or weren't paying enough attention to.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. You heard a lot about the debt when uh, Obama was in – uh, office and was pushing for more fiscal uh, spending and stuff like that. But it has sort of moved to the background now that the Republicans are uh, in control, the sort of debt hawks. But it, it really does strike you as something that could be a limiting factor in the ability to of the Trump administration to enact some of the pro-growth. I mean, if you want tax cuts and you want to increase defense spending, but you don't want to cut entitlement programs. Um, and, you know, you know, Donald Trump was on 60 Minutes also about the health care saying, we're going to cover everyone. Right, You're going to get right. everything you want. You can't do that when you have close to $20 trillion in debt. And I think one of the things I really enjoyed about um, your um, – the blog post was <laughs> the charts, to be honest. One of them was the percentage of t- – um, you know, interest expenses, a percentage of total federal outlays, has largely been a downward slope since 1997, while, you know, the you know, the debt outstanding has increased, you know, has been an upward slant, and it's a pretty steep one at that.
2: Yes. Yeah, I think it is a major issue. Um, and the point you make earlier, it's, it's, it's really absurd to think that you can, you know, move something over here on the left – and it would be completely predictable as to what that outcome would be you know, on the right. Um, you know, each action has so many other probabilities and scenarios. Like, there are so many futures out there. So I think investors certainly have to think probabilistically. We can't just say, well, if this, then that um... you know if this then there's a ten percent chance of this and there's a ten percent chance of that and a twenty percent chance of that you know, the, the range of outcomes the distribution yeah. of outcomes the standard deviation of outcomes is so significant um... you know one simple thing that i think we could all get our arms around so imagine there is this pro-growth possibly some inflation environment and we see interest rates creeping up as we have recently which then would you know raise the cost of our debt but the other thing you have to remember is you know when you look out across the rest of the world, you know interest rates are still flat or negative. So you know if we hit you know three year on the ten year treasury bond, that would look really good to glo- to global investors versus the rest of the world so then would that in fact just yep. increase the demand for our bonds that that's another possible outcome uh, i could give you five others that could happen and if that were to happen we might see the dollar strengthen which would be to some degree what we're what uh, i think they're trying to accomplish to not happen right now uh yeah. given the the trade problem we have or a concern that we have so a strong dollar may or may not be a good thing, um, but certainly if our bonds are even more attractive than everyone else's even more than they are already uh, you know that that could negate some of the the growth prospects and again lead to other outcomes that I think people may not be thinking about
1: one of the questions um, you know I had is you how how does this play out and this is <laughs> sort of goes to the outcomes that you were talking about but how does this impact, you know, people who are going to be buying U.S. debt and the bond markets generally?
2: Well, look, I think, you know, the one thing I learned at a very early age, which my grandmother taught me was too much of anything is no good. And, you know, as complex as my life has become, uh, and as mathematical as the world has become for me, uh, that one concept still, I think, applies. Now, you know, you look over the last seven, eight, nine years, the u s market has been fantastic the u s dollar has been stronger than ever um, and u s investors have benefited from u s investments um, but the reality is, I think people have decided to abandon in many ways their foreign investments, uh, even as it relates to foreign bonds. If you owned foreign bonds that were unhedged, you know where instead of only owning treasuries, for example, you might have owned some foreign government bonds, those have really been a difficult thing to own over the last handful of years because of the dollar having strengthened so much and a variety of other factors, Um, but it probably makes some sense to diversify your fixed income holdings. Um, If we had some inflation here, you know, I I think the one thing we'd all agree is that the world expects the dollar to strengthen. And maybe it does, but, you know, the market would probably be surprised if it weakened. So some level of diversification on your bond portfolio would make sense. I think investors are likely to see a lot more volatility on the bond side of their portfolio than they've seen for so many reasons, including the ones we're talking about. And then the most obvious, which is that interest rates have been going down for 35 years and they seem to be moving in the other direction right now.
0: Yeah, let's, uh, let's take a break there. We will come back with more about the debt and what it means for you, citizens. Uh, Greg Fisher, CIO Gerstein Fisher. We'll be back in a second.
2: I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com podcast, and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify.
0: WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Money Beat. And if you're interested in more podcasts from The Journal, from us over here in New York City, uh, you can check us out at wsj.com podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. You can subscribe. We're on iHeartRadio, Amazon Echo, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, your mu- your Google Play Music app. And we are speaking this afternoon with Greg Fisher, who is the CEO, CIO of Gerstein Fisher, talking about the U.S. debt. And I think there are a couple of numbers that I think are kind of yeah. interesting. I was going to say,
1: like, I think the numbers are really sort of interesting. Yeah, here.
0: and and not even just from from Greg's blog post, which I would encourage everyone to to go and and check out. And we can probably put that online. Um, we can do a little post around this and put that online. But I think even within the the U.S. the national debt, if you go to usdebtclock.org, dot uh, org, it really is an interesting kind of like live picture of a lot of different facets of the debt. And why I think it's interesting is because everyone throws around that the the national debt, right, nineteen trillion and change, going to hit twenty trillion, massive number, sounds very scary, and indeed can be very scary, but. With anything, you have to put that in relation to what are the assets you're taking that debt out against and what is the ability of your borrower to service that debt. And the thing I think is the reason why I think no one's ever going to cut off the United States government uh, beyond the fact that, you know, we are the dollar and that's important. But if you just look at total national assets, total national assets are one hundred and twenty eight trillion So they they dwarf the debt. What becomes important then is is your ability to service the debt. And I think that's when you start getting into issues of what the interest rates are now, Greg, as you were pointing out, and importantly, what the growth rates are. How fast is the U.S. economy growing? Is it growing fast enough to service the debt? I think that's the key question in terms of when we run into problems as as a nation, which is why having a recession matters, which is why having low growth matters, uh, it matters, you know, for your pocketbook. But in terms of what we're talking about with the debt here, that's why those things matter. You need a, a, an economy that is growing at a healthy rate, at a good rate, to bring in more money, more revenue to service this debt, so that the government doesn't run into problems. And when people talk about the the, the labor force participation rate and they say, "Oh, it's low," it's, oh, it doesn't matter. It matters because what it means is that there are people who are not contributing to the potential for economic growth, who are not bringing, helping to bring in revenue for whatever reason, it, you know the reason is less important than the fact that they're not there. And, and I think you have to kind of, like, I think the debt number is important, but I think you have to look at it in terms of all of those different assets, all of those different factors. And and that's kind of the the fuller picture. And don't know, that's all I wanted to say. Not really Absolutely. a question. Just wanted to make a little statement. Absolutely. I, I think Paul's pro-growth. I'm pro-growth. Yes, I'm pro-growth.
2: Yeah. Well, me too. And this is Greg, obviously. So, you know, look, I think, uh, you know, Warren Buffett in his letter recently, you know, talked about this. America is an incredible place. And, you know, I think the $20 trillion in debt by itself isn't that meaningful, very much like the 20000 Dow by itself isn't that meaningful. These numbers are a little bit arbitrary when you look at them by themselves. You have to look at the big mosaic of everything going on. And if there was any place in the world that could grow our way uh, into the future, uh, support our debt, and get beyond this, it's the United States of America. Um, however, I think to ignore the debt wouldn't be a wise idea. You know, just no, to be aware man. that it exists and to know right. what the repercussions of this could be if things don't go exactly the way we had hoped for. And I think just the volatility, the market expectations um, and the ability for people to get a little bit concerned or shaken up by this at some point. You know, I remember a couple of years ago when we had, you know, the announcements of, um, you know, having to raise the debt ceiling and, you know, what that did to the markets and lots of people get jittery over these kinds of things. So just to not ignore it would be the most important piece of information that I think I was trying to cause everyone's attention to. Um, But the other thing is just, you know, from an investment perspective, like to make this practical, um, if we do enter this, you know, higher growth, some inflation environment, slightly rates rising, you know, the question is, uh, we may or may not have that environment, um, but there's some probability that we will have that environment. And you know, what kinds of investment assets do you want to have in your portfolio um, to to have your portfolio perform well in an environment where we do have some higher interest rates, higher inflation, and and right. growth?
1: One of the, I, I was going to get back sort of to one of the, some of the numbers you have there because I find it. I found it very interesting that in 1997 you know servicing our debt would cost us cost you know annually 356 billion dollars by last year it was 432 billion that didn't move and in fact as a percentage of the overall budget it fell from I think in the mid 20s down to 11%. So servicing our debt has actually become easier right. and that was gets to what Greg was saying earlier because essentially interest rates are so low. Yeah. However, that's right. the, the other interesting point <laughs> that is in the blog post is that a 1% increase in interest rates adds 200 I think billion to servicing costs. That's that- right. And That's you think about it in,
2: in, with the yeah. connection of the announcement that happened today about, you know, some cost cutting that President Trump had suggested uh, that hit the media today. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, 50, 60, 70 billion dollars of cost cutting. It's a big number, um, but it's not as big as a 1 percent change in interest rates to the cost of servicing our debt.
1: Exactly. exactly. And, 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 and you know, most of those programs he's cutting are not the major part of our budget either. They're not the entitlements right. and they're not right. defense spending.
2: That's right. And, uh, you know, and, and I think the, the volatility we see in the dollar uh, and a variety of other factors that all sort of correlate to this. So, you know, again, bringing it back to this idea of, you know, how should an investor invest um, and this idea of, you know, the foreign markets um, and how do they impact your portfolio? Um, you know, can we grow uh, without some additional demand? from outside the U.S., or can we exist on our own in this ecosystem with, you know, our own su- consumer demand supporting our growth? Right.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and and you guys, you point this out, and I think this gets back to the the, the, the saw I was on a second ago about uh, the public debt as a percentage of GDP. And you have a chart in there, and, you know, you mentioned it was 65 percent um, before the crisis, and now it's up to like 106 percent. And the reason that matters is because you remember, and I'm sure, Greg, you remember, uh, the 2010 paper from Carmen Reinhart and Ken Rogoff, where they pointed out that once you get above 90% GDP, a debt-to-GDP ratio, that's when countries start to see lower growth, slower growth, and they can start to run into problems. We're already in that zone. We're already in that place, which, again, is why... What happens with this budget? What happens with government spending? What happens with with growth rates? Are become so critical at this point?
1: Well, I mean, absolutely. You, you haven't even talked about immigration and productivity. No, Which no. are probably bigger. I mean, for us, productivity is probably the biggest, right? You know, sign it, of how much growth we're going to go or, or holding back right. our growth. Right. And you know, we're looking at like I, what I think the. You know, the budget office is projecting a 2% for the next decade, essentially. Right.
2: Right. Which is not a lot.
1: No.
0: No,
2: it's not. Um, you know, I think we were growing at three and a half, four percent 4% in the past. So that's about half of what we've seen, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm um, getting back to the, you know, sort of where you left off, just a few minutes ago. Where, what, what are you sort of advising clients in regard to, you know, a higher interest rate environment and, you know, perhaps more volatility in the bond market?
2: Thank you. Well, I'd say that. So, I don't think uh, at Gerstein Fisher we, we'd like to say, you know, we're never very good at predicting the future. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't think, uh, and I'm an analyst, but I don't think I've ever made a correct projection in my life. (laughs) Um, uh, so, and I don't know too many of us that have.
0: We're a hundred percent on this show. I want you to know that, Greg. Yeah. We've never, yeah, we've never missed.
2: Then you shouldn't invite, you, 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 you invited me on. I just reduced your percentage (laughs) even further. Um, Some (laughs) of
0: our predictions don't last a day, to be very honest. (laughs)
2: That's great. Well, but that said, I think again, from the point of view of just thinking about, uh, a range of scenarios that could occur, you know, instead of, you know, it will or it won't, you sure. know, what are the probabilities? I think if you asked a hundred people, do you think there is some probability in the future that the dollar will weaken? or that interest rates will go down instead of up. Uh, the, the, the average opinion is definitely, if you asked 100 people, I'm sure you'd get 80 of them would say the dollar's likely to go up, and you know, something like 80 of them would probably say interest rates are also likely to go up. But the question is, is it possible the reverse could happen? At least, is there some chance? So I think that investors should consider having some parts of their portfolio invested in things that they believe are less likely but still possible. And you know the obvious things that come up in in this environment, uh, a lot of investors will ask about you know, should I own tips, treasury infa- inflation protected securities?" Um, or, or should I have regular bonds, for example? Now, we've done a lot of research on this and, you know, generally we think, uh, short-term bonds, like, you know, short-term government bonds, where you can, let's say, buy a one-year bond every year for the next 30 years, uh, might be equally good as owning tips from a portfolio point of view. Um, and then tips have some other volatility associated with them and some other negative tax characteristics. So, you know, someone could think about tips as something to own if you believe there'd be more inflation than everyone else believed. Um, but, you know, we think actually, you know, short-term bonds are probably equally good. Um... Another question that comes up is, you know, foreign market exposure. How much of my portfolio should I have not in the U.S. dollar, in other currencies or in other markets, uh, or in other companies that are doing business in, you know, other markets? And, um, you know, there, too, we think, you know, some international diversification makes sense, um, even though it's hard to think about that after seven or eight years of that not working very well. Yeah. Um, but that's the nature of long-term investing. And finally, another common thing that comes up is the idea of, you know, commodities and precious metals, uh, owning natural resources, which over long periods of time have been a good thing to own, uh, in inflationary environments. So, you know, there's a, a lot of combinations of portfolios you could put together. But certainly, thinking about whether you have tips or regular bonds, do you own some natural resource prices like commodities and, or metals, um, and foreign market exposure, I think those are, you know, three or four obvious themes to be thinking about. And generally, Americans have more of their portfolio in the dollar and NUS uh, holdings. This home bias exists here, it exists everywhere else, too. So I think these are good times to be thinking about that.
0: All right. Uh, Anything else, Grocery? I think that covers it. Uh, Greg, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I
2: appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, look forward to speaking with you both again real soon.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, because, look, clearly this is a topic that isn't going to go away and will probably become only more important uh, as we see what the government down in DC wants to do and we see where growth goes in 2017 and of course uh, it is inevitable that debt is going to trip that 20 trillion well, mark well
1: i mean we we're just talking i, I think there's reports out that trump's going to you know ask for a uh, 10% increase in um, military the military budget which will be will basically wipe out the cuts he took from other places because right. that's about 54 billion wow increase Interesting.
0: Yeah.
2: and I think uh, I know uh, something that that you know worries me a lot and it 's certainly out there uh, and we 'll be talking more about this in the coming months, so keep an eye on our the Gerstein Fisher blog is uh, you know, the sort of rebalancing that's happening, the issues around trade and conflict and the world right. economy, and there's a lot happening there, and I think it all directly relates to the conversation we had today.
1: No, I, I think you're 100% right. It is, it is such a complex world now, and and how everything interplays. Like, you want growth, but then you talk about immigration has been, you know, it's gonna be hard to achieve the 3% growth that Trump does with a crackdown on uh, significantly on right. immigration. Um, productivity, we don't have really any good answers why that hasn't come. You know, what do you do with health care? Um, that has become an you know, you incredibly know, th- difficult that, issue. That and tax cuts has become another incredibly difficult is, issue. Is
0: is, is 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 that a leader? Like, that's a good story. And I think everyone is is kind of taking around different parts of that. But I don't know if anyone has ever put in one story there's the a, fact that... You,
1: there's a push and pull be, on because all of this. what
0: Because of this new president and everything he has said he's going to do you are really seeing very viscerally how interconnected the world is and how difficult it is to change one thing and not have it change something else over here. Uh, That's a good story. I don't know if anyone has actually done that, just that as a story. Yeah, and Paul
1: said leader. He's meeting a page one Wall Street Journal story. That's that's our internal.
2: Yeah, I think about it as the water balloon effect. You squeeze it on the left and it comes out on the Right. Right. Um, you know, we've got to remember for every surplus, there's a deficit. You know, if we save more, someone else has to spend more. Right. You know, it's, this is just the way it works. Where It's a, it's a closed system. It's one big world economy.
0: Yeah. yeah. I might pitch that as a story. I think that's a good story. You if it hasn't that. been, it might have been written already. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I think it's one of these stories
1: that oftentimes we in the media do in. Im- pieces and incrementally right. and that we don't actually then take the step back and do it as a whole thing exactly. and, and, and I think together. So, yeah, I All right. don't disagree. Greg Fisher,
0: you'd be the first person I call if I get to do this story.
2: I appreciate <laughs> that. I'm going to start working on it now. Okay.
0: okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening and we'll catch up with you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.
1: There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic.